Welcome to the GeoMob podcast, where we discuss geo-innovation in any and all forms, be it for fun or profit. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the GeoMob podcast. My guest today is Sajad Anwar, who is joining me from India. Sajad has the distinction of being the only person in the world to have organized a GeoMob outside of Europe. He helped us organize GeoMob Bangalore back in 2014, which is a very fond memory for me because I got to go and speak there. Sajad has been very active in the OpenStreetMap community in India over, over many years, both in his free time, but also his various jobs. He's worked at Mapbox, now he works at Development Seed. And so there's been some big news out of India a couple weeks ago that the mapping policies, legalities around mapping have been changed. And so we thought we'd get Sajad on and he can give us the update about that. Sajad, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Briefly uh, introduce yourself. Tell, tell us who you are. What do you do? Yeah, I'm Sajid. I've been an OpenStreetMap developer and contributor for over a little over a decade. I currently work at a company called Development Seed, where most of my work on a daily basis is to run out several projects that involve map data and infrastructure, as, as well as do a lot of business strategy. Previously, I worked at uh, Mapbox, and between 20, 2015 and 2017, I helped them build the, the data team, which was at the time based in Bangalore. Yeah, and, you know, I, I was looking back, Ed, when, when you were t- telling me about the 2014, I was actually looking back what that event was about. So a lot of the things that I do, which I don't do a lot anymore, is I'm quite connected and active in the local open data community. So I used to run something called GeoBLR with a couple of friends uh, in Bangalore. So try to bring together the geospatial community together for a chat every month, which I think we stopped around 2017 when I left Mapbox and things got really busy. Yeah, and it was that's when I found out Ed and Gary were in Bangalore and we couldn't miss the chance to meet them. And it was great. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Was like, give us give us some background. So what before we dive into the changes to the the, the recent government uh, ruling, what what is how is OpenStreetMap in India doing? What what is the state of the community? Mm-hmm. You know, give us for those who aren't familiar with it, how how is OpenStreetMap going there? Yeah, so so I guess I got introduced to OpenStreetMap in I think 20, 2008, 2009. I was I was still in college and I'd got started doing some geocoding type problem as part of project work and I was like, hey, look, yeah, there's this thing called OpenStreetMap, so I can give that a shot. And you know, in many ways a lot of people get introduced to OpenStreetMap in India still like that through their university projects and things like that. For a country where there are a lot of technology enthusiasts and activists, we're still not a massive community. We're probably maybe a few hundred active mappers and maybe another hundred or so hit and run mappers. So it's not it's not a very big community as you imagine, but but I'd say it's a very close community. People people generally kind of talk to each other. We have we have groups on Telegram that's that's also connected to IRC and things like that. So there's always like conversations about where people are mapping, what are they doing, and always kind of calls for help and things like that, which I find really exciting. Yeah, and I think OSM really thrives in in universities a lot in India, universities and in colleges, professional colleges across the country, people picking up on different projects and then imagine it and then realizing that, you know, they can go out and actually map and then they'll tell a friend. In the, in the last maybe three to four years, we've seen a lot of government and non-government agencies also 
kind of start using OSM data, perhaps not with their entire realization that they're actually using the data that's coming from OSM, and sometimes without even you know attributing because they're probably kind of just unaware. So we kind of help those groups through sometimes. I would say in terms of data quality, you know, tier one cities like Bangalore, Bombay, Delhi, still really good. People are always kind of keeping an eye on places that are changing, roads that are being built and things like that. But as you kind of go further out into tier two, tier three and suburbs, quality kind of starts dropping. But it's still it's still like a very accurate, fair representation of how these cities are and how they work. And uh, yeah, I'd say we also, I guess one of the things that I've noticed with the community is that when we have new people come on board, we kind of tell them the importance of continuing to maintain the map data and not just kind of mapping and forgetting about it. So kind of encourage people to kind of own their own parts of the uh, parts of the map and things like that, which I kind of really appreciate. Yeah, I think that's, that's kind of a summary. And, you know, we have, we have mappers across the country and it, it's really a very diverse community of mappers. Well, congrats. I mean, that sounds like a very solid foundation. I, I, you know, I mean, India is a huge place, very chaotic place, very different cities, landscapes. So I, I can imagine it's a lot of work and a lot of effort and, and also, you know, changing quite a bit, quite rapidly. So yeah, a lot to do. Okay, so with all that as context, what what was the recent government announcement, and and what does it mean for the local community? Give us explain explain that to us. I guess the the background is that in India, mapping, uh, you know, up until the new guidelines that came out a few weeks ago, mapping in India has always been considered uh, as an activity that needs to be entirely executed by a government agency or an organization with um, a certain level of approval from the government. So it's it's a very sort of controlled activity. It's not something that the government encourages people to partake in outside of, you know, their, their purview. Is, 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 this, the, is that because of some kind of like national security issue or what, what was the thinking behind that? So that's pretty much it. I think a lot of this comes from the fact that you know, mapping is considered to be a very sort of traditionally considered to be a very defense slash military sort of operation. Uh, it's mm. a very strategic arm of the, you know, the defense department of the country. That means data is extremely crucial. They need to know exactly who has it, who who's looking at it and who's collecting it and how they're collecting it. So that's kind of the background that when you look at mapping from that point of view, you know, you absolutely want to shut down everything and only need very few people doing this as an activity for national development. Right. And for instance, you know, before the announcement, the new guidelines that came up a few weeks ago, sort of the biggest mapping policy was in in 2005. When, which was called the National Mapping Policy 2005, where they'd laid out very broad, but also really vague guidelines about who's allowed to map and how they should do it and what, what is the ideal representation of the national, the nations and the national borders and, and how somebody can get access to this data and, and sort of setting, setting up a very broad, but quite unhelpful framework for executing mapping work in the country. So that's why, you know, people consider the announcement that came just now as a pretty huge milestone in terms of looking at mapping, both mapping industry as well as using mapping for 
uh, development in in the country because it 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 starts to define mapping as a a pretty foundational asset for the country itself and not something that's only used for defense or security or national security for that matter. Now, you know, the one thing I should mention is that in 2016, just a few years ago, there was another draft national geospatial regulation bill that came up. It was, it was a draft. It was, you know, never made into a policy, but that was a very, it had a very opposite look. It, uh, it tried to shut down even, you know, people or university students making maps for their project, for instance. It, it tried hmm. to kind of block all mapping activities across the country by across, by all organizations. And you had to get sort of a written, sort of a license from the government to, to do that. Wow. Now, in contrast to 2016, what we have now is the new guidelines really make it possible for anyone to you know, map the country following reasonable practices, right? Which is, which is massive because from being able to do nothing and potentially also borderline, you know, making mapping a borderline criminal activity to something that is fully open and liberal is, is a massive change. And that's why people are very excited about it. So one question until now, people who had been contributing to OpenStreetMap, were they violating the previous ruling or, or how, how was that viewed? Yeah. So, so I think it's, it's yes and no. And this is why the National Map Policy 2005 was extremely vague because it didn't, it didn't actively say that like, Hey, look, if you go out and map X, Y, and Z, then you're actually violating this policy. And therefore, you know, you're going to have to pay a fine. You can have to serve a term, right? So that, that was never the case. The one additional thing to point out is National Map Policy of 2005 was actively only enforced in terms of how the country's international borders were depicted, but it was never enforced in terms of who's collecting map data. Right. Um, because even at that point, like people like Uber or, you know, Ola, or Google Maps were already doing mapping activities in the country. There were certain instances where Google has been asked to kind of pull street view activities from the country, which I think was partly successful, but it was never, it was never a point where, you know, look, these people on OpenStreetMap are going around and mapping cities of the country. So we should stop them. It, it, it was never that sort of an approach. The other thing to point out is OSM was still very small. It, it was you know, largely and probably still gets considered still as a very hobby project that, that kind of grew within university campuses where people uh, try to use it for projects and things like that. So, so that way, I don't think OSM came under the umbrella of violating uh, the national policy in any way. And yeah, it was never kind of targeted that way at all, which, you know, it was great. I see. But now under the new ruling, it's clear that Things like OSM are definitely allowed. Would that be a fair statement? That's right. Yeah. So, okay. so from not being able to, or I guess like one of the reasons why the community is also small is all is definitely because of the the vagueness of the national map policy, right? Because there's there's very little information that you can go off with. What are the things that you can actually do, and what are the things that you can't do? So, you know, actively growing a community when the legal framework is very confusing can put a lot of people in danger. Sure. So, sure. so that way, you know, people 
have been kind of taking a step back of, you know, going all out in terms of teaching people and onboarding new organizations and things like that. In contrast, now that's possible, which is, which is incredible. It makes a, a lot of things easy. It makes, it makes it easy for us to now run sort of public mapping campaigns that are very coordinated, can be set up for a lot of success. It makes public uh, partnerships with government agencies, especially during uh, kind of this disaster recovery or resilience movements, right? So in the last few years, we've had a lot of issues around flooding, especially in South India. Uh, there's been a, a lot of flooding instances and things like that, where uh, the awesome community has come together and really helped government agencies with the data that's available in OSM and also supported kind of managing the, the data sets that they have for recovering or supporting you know distributing aid and things like that which which excites me in, in the in the current context that we'll be able to do that even more and actually even better with you know more state uh, government authority yeah so okay so one question that that i know several people in europe asked me about when i told them i was going to be talking with you is of course in india there are rules around as you mentioned representation of the international borders and so is is that influenced at all here by this ruling or that stays as was and and how does the osm community kind of how does that impact the osm community yeah so this is a very interesting and important question and I think the 2021 mapping guidelines does not really impact how we depict the international borders at all. They continue to be governed by the 2005 national map policy. In fact, it probably tries to enforce that a little bit better. For the awesome community, from our standpoint, you know, we want to enable people who want to use awesome data within the country without having to worry about potentially, you know, violating these regulations at, at the central government's level. So what we do is we run openstreetmap.in, which essentially, you know, uses OpenStreetMap data and then make sure that at any point in time, we represent the the borders as per the government guidelines. So nobody else using awesome data is in, in violation, even though the data might represent in different way or might change when people engage in editing activities across uh, international borders. Okay, very nice. So um, another question that comes up here sometimes is that India, you know, is, is a country that has literally millions of software developers. You know, Bangalore is known worldwide, of course, as a, as a hub for the industry. And many, many local companies, but also many international companies have, have large teams there and things. But we haven't seen a lot of contribution from Indian software developers on, into the various software side of OSM. Any ideas why that is and what we could do to stimulate that and how we can better engage the technical resources of India? Because um, it seems like that would be a huge source of talent that could could help push things forward. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, this is one of the things that I, I constantly think about when, you know, when we look at different parts of the awesome tools and ecosystem, I'd be like, oh, these are the things, these are really cool things that people can jump into and learn and, you know, get really used to a new project and also understand geography a little better. So, I mean, I have a couple of theories. So I think in my personal experience, a lot of how people join open source communities in India has been largely through conferences and, you know, through trainings and by by really seeing other people do these things. I think with the lack of better sort of mapping framework within the country, there are less stories of success that we've been able to really share. So the way people discover OpenStreetMap is kind of, you know, not 
that massive, what I would say isn't a great coverage to onboard new people. I think a lot of it has to do with potential job opportunities. A lot of people get into open source contribution within in India because they see potential opportunities or want to engage with a certain community or, uh, you know, an organization. I feel like we saw that particularly when we were setting up Mapbox here in 2015, that there was a sudden uptick in, you know, a number of people who were excited about showing up at a hackathon or people who would be interested in applying for a Google Summer of Code project, right? Hmm. So I think the industry within the country wasn't entirely set up to be to be looking for people with these kind of skill sets, which I think is changing a lot now with companies like Apple and Facebook, all of them actively hiring sort of data analysts and, and software developers to work on mapping tools in, in their offices in India. So so that that's that's kind of like another reason. I feel like I mean I guess the other thing that's important to point out is that the awesome software ecosystem is notoriously difficult to break into it you know it it is it, it, it's built by a lot of people with different intentions it documentation goes from you know a varying level of quality uh, there's a lot to learn uh, and it's not mm-hmm. necessarily yeah. easy for anybody new to kind of jump in and you know fix this and fix that and and then suddenly become like a maintainer of a project right and i would say in fact it would potentially be very daunting and quite intimidating for someone to you know take take over maintainership responsibilities and things like that because it's it's a lot you know sure, um, sure. and and that way you know I mean I would say while some parts of the community has been welcoming and um, encouraging new people to come into roles like that it, that's not always true right that's not always true across the board in terms of the software developer ecosystem and inside OpenStreetMap. But I, I should say that, you know, GSOC has been has been very crucial. I've I've personally gone through several proposals over the last few years, kind of helping people put together proposals for projects like ID, Norm and Adam and things like that. And I think a lot of people have stuck around that way. And uh, yeah, I really hope we continue to do that as OpenStreetMap. Yeah, it's a, a great project from Google, uh, in, of course, for OpenStreetMap, but for open source in general. And uh, definitely a great entry point for people to get in on the software side. Any any lessons you think uh, that OpenStreetMap communities in other countries can learn from India? You know, other countries, first of all, with kind of similar demographic and economic situation in India, but also also countries everywhere. What, what can we, what might be applicable to others? Yeah, I guess my, I mean, this is a hard one. I don't, I don't want to necessarily tell other people this is what they should do. But I think one thing I've noticed that the, the community in India does really well is the way we moderate. I don't think there's there's very little that the community moderates. There's also, thankfully, very little conversations on the mailing list that kind of spirals into things that are completely out of control. That way, I think the conversations are much more gathered and people kind of step into roles to facilitate these things, kind of support people when when they're also kind of positions of disagreements or arguments and things like that, trying to kind of, you know, facilitate, break out into smaller groups, understand both parties. I think it's really important to do those things to kind of grow the community and also grow the trust within the community. And I'd say, you know, if, if you're a new Ursan community, if, if you're trying to build a new one, these are sort of key 
sort of fundamental things. I think, uh, you know, they'll always, if there's like 10 people in the room, they all have 20 opinions. And that means somebody will definitely have to facilitate and make sure, you know, there's there's kind of like room for all of it, but also sort of goals that the community can get to so that they actually feel good about themselves. I'd say we're a really big country. That also means, you know, people come from different backgrounds. People have different languages. Um, people also have very different understanding of what a map should look like for them. And it it shows the way people map and the way they teach how to map and how they use the map. And I think being respectful of how somebody might perceive your map, the one that you've just made or the one that you, something that you added to OpenStreetMap is really important. And uh, yeah, just kind of pausing and asking questions about, hey, why did you feel that way? Or how can I do this better? I think goes a really long way instead of, you know, being very strong headed of this is the right way to do it in OpenStreetMap. Yeah, I, I think that's probably definitely a lesson <laughs> many can learn in, in communities all around the world, of course. Yeah, some phenomenal diversity in India. I mean, it truly is a subcontinent mm-hmm. in the sense of, you know, it has all the diversity of a continent in terms of the cultures and the the languages and, and as you say, the perception of, of how things should be represented. So Yeah, and in fact, you know, we've, I feel like there's always a conversation about a particular tag that's probably missing. And then we're trying to figure out a way to kind of make it work with existing tags. And I try to push people to sort of like consider just, you know, coming out with a new tag and then putting it up on the wiki and see what people say. Very nice. Very nice, Adad. Well, exciting news out of India. And hopefully hopefully, the recent clarification from the government does give the community a boost and you you guys can take it to the next level. So good stuff. Anything we've overlooked in our conversation or anything else you want to share about OpenStreetMap in India or what's going on there? I think in terms of the the policy landscape, I think we've covered. I guess probably we haven't talked about how people use OSM. Oh yeah. Well, so so what is the main use case for OSM in India? This has been changing in you know in the in the last few years. So the one really strong one that stands up is the government of Kerala, which is a state in South India where I'm actually sitting right now, has been has launched kind of a statewide mapathon program that encourages volunteers to come together and map directly in OpenStreetMap. You know, all all with the help of volunteers from with within the country to kind of train, create videos of training, and also host workshops and things like that. And the and the goal primarily there is to you know map basic public infrastructure so that they have access to this data when there are floods or earthquakes and landslides and things like that. And, you know, this was, this was really something that kind of was born out of the 2017, 2018 floods, which were really bad in this, in this part. The ISRO, the space research organization kind of uses parts of OpenStreetMap software. So they have sort of their own fork of ID that does some level of vector data editing, which has been really interesting and exciting to see. And I'm kind of hoping that we'll get to collaborate with that group a little bit better. And uh, yeah, and I think, you know, a, a lot of like sort of activists and groups are coming together to kind of use OpenStreetMap data at a city level to show the impact of, you know, certain planning um, decisions, for instance, I, I remember a story where this activist had done, they basically walked through a few streets and mapped all the street lights and then showed which ones are working and which ones aren't. And, you know, that was such an impactful story where the government, you know, had to take a look at it, right? So, yeah, I think I, I think the breadth of how people are using it is also increasing. And that excites me a lot in the current sort of the policy climate as well, that it's, it's going to 
uh, be a huge boost uh, for the community. Well, absolutely. I mean, that that's the virtuous cycle, right? When people use it and depend on it, then they then they they learn about it. They realize they need to maintain it, and and then they invest in maintaining it. Invest in training new people to to learn how to use it, and and then it goes from yeah. there. So. Thanks for coming on the show and talking with us and giving us the update. Maybe we can check back sometime and, and see how things have evolved. Best of luck to you and everyone else in the OpenStreetMap India community. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And uh, I will pass on the message to the rest of the crew in India. Before before you go, though, what's the best way for anyone to get in touch with you if they if they have questions or, or want to get involved in some of the projects or how can they oh, reach yeah, out to you? I would say I'd say Twitter is probably the easiest. So I'm GeoHacker on Twitter and uh, you can also just find my email on the Government Seeds website. Very nice. Well, I'll make sure, of course, we get those links on the uh, show notes. Thanks again for coming on the show. Thank you, Ed. Bye. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today and listening to the GMOP podcast. Hopefully you've enjoyed the discussion. Please don't hesitate if you have any feedback for us or any suggestions for topics that we should cover in the future. You can get the show notes over on the website, which is at thegeomob.com. While you're there, if you're not yet on the mailing list, please do get on the mailing list where we once a month send out an email announcing future events, summarizing past events, and just generally sharing uh, events that you may find of interest. You can also, of course, follow us on Twitter, where our handle is geomob. You can follow Steven at Steven Feldman. You can follow me at Fryfogel. You can check out Mappery at mappery.org. And of course, if you need any geocoding, please check out my service, which is opencagedata.com. We look forward to you joining us again at a future episode, and of course, seeing you at a future GeoMop event. Hope to see you there soon. Bye.